Well, how many of you, like me, struggle either more or less with a condition called heartburn? Raise your hand. You know how it goes. You start eating a bunch of stuff too late at night. You go to bed and you feel kind of a disturbance in the force. You go to sleep. About 2 o'clock in the morning, you suddenly wake up. And there's a 500-pound gorilla on your chest, right? Whoo, baby. And you get up, and you start walking around. You take every antacid or version thereof you have in the house, right? What could go wrong mixing all these things in my body? I don't know. If one is good, five is better. Who knows what I'm talking about? But it doesn't go away, it gets worse. You start calling out to God, right? Oh God, oh God. And then suddenly something comes flashing into your mind and it's the story of a guy at work who thought it was indigestion and four hours later he died of a heart attack, right? And it's 2.30 in the morning. And then as you think about that, you... Maybe I can feel a little pain in my left arm here, and I, I am a little short of breath now that I think about it, and so you wake somebody up, and they rush you to the ER, and you get in there, and they get all nervous when I say, uh, you got chest pains, it feels, I got chest pains, and they lay you out on this drink cart thing, you know, and they start asking you a whole bunch of questions, Right? And you say, yes, no, yes. And they say, do you smoke? And you say, well, only on vacation. And, you know, and then their brows get real furrowed and everything. And, man, then they start hooking wires up to you and drawing blood and shoving little pills underneath your tongue, right? And say, just lay here, see if this gets better. And as soon as you say, yeah, I'm starting to feel better, they say, well, jump up on this treadmill and run. And so you're doing that with the wires and the blippers and things, and there's some skinny little girl standing there with these paddles. Don't worry about her, it's just in case. You're good, just keep running, man, just keep running. They tell you to stop running, they put you back on the drink cart and roll you back into your little, little fabric closet. And they say, just wait here cardiologists will be along soon. Soon to them means six hours later, this kid in scrubs comes in, introduces himself as Dr. Doogie Hauser, your new, your new cardiologist, right? And he says, I've been looking over all your stuff, and in fact, you didn't have a heart attack. In fact, you just had a severe case of indigestion and acid reflux can feel like a heart attack, but the good news is you didn't have a heart attack. That's good news. He said, but you know, I just did recently buy a house in Powell, and so I'm going to need you to follow up with me (laughs) in a few weeks just so we can really talk about this, right? Some other person comes in and says, you're good to go, and put your clothes on and drive home relieved. Until six days later, you go to the mailbox, and you discover that you just spent $11,000 to learn that you shouldn't eat tacos after 10 o'clock at night, right? 
Does anybody know this story? Yeah, me either. Well, this is heartburn. And I don't want to be your Easter buzzkill this morning, but many of you are headed to tables and the social situations that go with that table. And heartburn is in your near future. Just so you know, some of you are about to have a dance with the devil in your esophagus. Some of you are already there because you're the one making this meal and you're just praying to God that the time bake function on your oven actually works, right? <laughs> While you're sitting here in church. I get this. I get this. Well, as a public service to all y'all, <laughs> I have isolated the top seven sources of heartburn that are likely laying an ambush for you on this Easter Sunday. Would you like to hear them? Okay. The first is the glazed ham. People say, here's an idea. Let's make a meat that's full of salt and chemicals, and then let's burn sugar on the outside of it. Let's just weld a coat of sugar to the outside of it and have people eat it. Heartburn is in that future. Oh, someone said, I have a better idea. Let's catch all the drippings from that thing with all the salt and the chemicals and all the nitrites and stuff, and let's capture them. Let's boil them down real thick and add some gluten to that. I told you I was going to be your Easter buzzkill, right? And let's put that on your mashed potatoes today. That's the number six source of heartburn today. Number five are the deviled eggs. And you say, really? Turns out after about 11 of them, you do get heartburn. <laughs> So, just go easy. Uh, the excessive amounts of sugar will bring heartburn. Whose idea was it to have a holiday where you wake up to candy? And you, and you just ply candy into your children's mouths for a couple of hours, drag them off to church, and then put them back there with people you love. What, what is wrong with you? Some of you are just so grateful it's not your quarter to teach back there, right? Thank, there is a God after all, all right? That's excessive uh, sugar. Uh, Uncle Glenn, uh, you know, it might be aunt somebody or cousin somebody, but there's somebody perhaps in your social environment this afternoon who has such ridiculously inane socio-political views that he always feels compelled to impose on everybody in the room, right? You know who I'm talking about? These ridiculously narrow-minded, closed-minded idiots. Sorry if that's you. And you're going to go into this environment this afternoon, and you guys, you know what's going to happen. They're going to be talking, and you're going to lean forward, and your wife's going to say, forget it. Just, no. 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 But I want to kill him. No. It's not worth it. That should bring you some heartburn. I think going to church will bring some of you heartburn today. Some of you here are against your will. Someone has worn you down. Some family member, you're here under duress. We know who you are. We can see your heel marks from your car. 
as you were drug into this place today, shamed somehow, manipulated, okay, I'll do it. Just a shout out to you submarine Christians. Those of you who stay submerged most of the year, but Christmas and Easter just kind of come up. And... Yeah, pretty much what I expected. I'm glad that you didn't die since Christmas. We would have known because someone would have called us to do your funeral. Heads up, I'm not doing it. Just saying, there's heartburn in your future today, probably. But the number one source of heartburn in your future on this Easter Sunday is Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is sure to give you heartburn today because if you're walking with Him as Savior and Lord of your life, then you are experiencing in Him and His present reality as Savior. He's going to set your heart on fire. He's going to change everything. He's going to set your heart on fire. And if you're not walking with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, it creates a problem for you, doesn't it? Because if Jesus Christ actually is risen from the dead, as He said He would, then it means the other stuff He said is true, including the stuff about heaven and hell being real, and that He's the only way to get into heaven. So that creates a different problem, doesn't it? A different kind of heartburn. I love to read the different accounts, different things Jesus did as the risen Savior. He was so cool and so funny, wasn't He? I love in Luke, so there's a couple of disciples, not of the twelve, but a couple next layer disciples who are walking along the road to Emmaus, and they're talking about all this stuff about Jesus being crucified, and now there's some kind of rumor that he's risen from the dead, and they're just talking about, well, can this be, what? And Jesus just appears with them. Hey, what's going on? They don't recognize him, and you see that in several of the accounts. They don't recognize him at first for reasons that are fascinating, but we don't really have time to develop today, but they don't recognize him at first, and he's walking along, and they go, what are you guys talking about? He goes, what are you guys talking about? They go, are you serious? Are you the only one in all Jerusalem who hasn't heard about Jesus, who was a prophet, and he was great, and he was full of the power of God? And they arrested him, and they killed him. And Jesus said, are you, are you so slow and hard to believe? You still think he was a prophet? Are you, you still not get this? And it says that he walked along, he explained the scriptures to them and everything about him, about how the Messiah must fall into the hands of sinful men, must suffer and give his life as a ransom for the world. And that, would, you, would you just love to be that disciple? Walk along with the risen Christ and have him explain yeah, I love that. So they're walking along, and they get to this place where they stopped, and they ate. And it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And I think this is hilarious. He disappeared from their sight. Jeepum! <laughs> and then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts burning 
Was that amazing? Keeping company with the risen Christ is cause for a kind of holy heartburn today, people. Because he brings life to our hearts. Because he changes all the price tags. The things that used to be important aren't important. The things that weren't important are. Things that used to be valuable to you have no value to you. The things that used to have no value are suddenly the most precious, treasured things in your life. He brings burning to our hearts because he offers eternal purpose and a life of profound significance and impact. Because that's what keeping company with the risen Jesus Christ will do. He'll make your heart burn. He'll set your heart on fire. You'll never be the same. And once that happens, you can't go back, can you? Once you say, I've had enough, he goes, too late. You're already on fire. That's what keeping company with the risen Christ will do. Some of you have a fair question. And your, your fair question is, how do you know for sure that Jesus is risen from the dead? Come on. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty incredible thing to say. Well, my first answer may not satisfy you, but my first answer is because the Word of God said so. But that's only satisfying to those of us who already believe, right? I will concede to you that if you haven't yet come to the place of encountering the risen Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, you're looking at this Bible thing going, well, that's what you say, but I'm not sure I can say that. And I appreciate your honesty about that, and I respect it. So I will concede that. But that's not all we have. Well, that's very satisfying for me. That's all it needs to say. The Bible says that it's true then. But I wasn't always like that. You weren't always like that. It's only as you encounter Jesus as the truth, then that this becomes the truth. You understand it was the truth, but that you understand it, and your eyes are opened, just like theirs were, and they see it as the truth. Yes? All right. So that's not enough of an answer, is it? Well, how about because of the massive historical evidence to support the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'm talking about massive historical evidence. Maybe you're a person who says, I don't see the Bible as the living Word of God yet. Well, then take it as historical literature. Take it as ancient historical literature. Just take it for that. What do you mean? Something that has withstood the scrutiny of history scholars for 2,000 years. And it's still here. Take that. Just take it. And just take the data in. And consider it as history. Take into account the countless numbers of accounts of experience with the risen Christ through the 2,000 years. Take that data in, just as possible history. Just think about it in that way. Take into account the fact that billions upon billions of people through history have come to this and come to Christ as Savior on the cross and Lord in the resurrection and have found life and have faced their own death with complete peace. Take that. Just take that as data. Whether you see this as the living word of God or not, just take that as data. Take into account the fact that there is as much or more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is to support that George Washington crossed the Delaware River on Christmas night of 1776. Take that into account. 
I mean, are you really sitting there going, yeah, I never really did believe that George Washington thing. I mean, let's think about it. History says that George Washington, whether he looked like that or not, is subject to interpretation. But that on Christmas night of 1776, George Washington was in one of several boats that crossed the Delaware River. How many of you largely believe that? I'm just curious. You just largely believe that? great deal of you either don't or you don't raise your hand in church for anything, right? (laughs) Generally, we believe that. Let me ask you this. Besides Dennis, how many of you actually saw that event? (laughs) So wait, you're saying you didn't see the event. How are you so certain of it then? Because history says so. So you've made Dick some kind of choice to believe in what you consider to be a credible, credible chain of documents that says, there it goes, it's withstood the test of time, historical scrutiny. These several accounts all seem to corroborate this. And so you're good with it. You don't doubt it. Let me do another experiment to make this even more clear. How many of you believe that there is a Delaware River? (laughs) Generally? Okay. How many of you have actually seen the Delaware River? Go ahead and raise your hand. Keep it up. I have also. Good. Wow. Keep it up. Okay. This is praise Jesus for the Delaware River time. Okay. (laughs) How many of you, like me, have actually crossed the Delaware River in a boat? Oh. Cape May, the ferry across Cape May, that counts. Anybody? Am I the only one in the room that's crossed it too? You have done? Did you, was Kathy not with you or is she not playing? <laughs> so, only two of us in the room have ever not only seen the Delaware River, but have actually crossed it in the boat to know that it's even possible and yet somehow the overwhelming majority of you believe that on Christmas night, 1776, George Washington, someone you never met, crossed the Delaware River as part of his invasion on Trenton and Princeton. You believe this, right? Wow. But you come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ with more eyewitness accounts to the resurrected Jesus then eyewitness accounts to George Washington crossing the Delaware, and you go, I don't know if I can embrace that. Why? Because I don't understand how the resurrection would work. Well, let me get to that with one more experiment. How many of you believe that on Saturday, November 30th of last year, the Ohio State Buckeyes went to Ann Arbor and handed the Michigan Wolverines a 42-41 to 41 defeat in their own big house. How many of you believe that? Someone's clapping. I, you don't clap for George Washington setting our nation free. But Won't do this, but you'll do this. 
Just saying. How do you know that about last November 30th? You saw it? Who was there? Raise your hand, Jeremy. I know you were there. I know you were there. Was anybody else like Jeremy and Cindy there? You were there, Daniel? All right. Greg and Tiffany, you were there? Did you see it? Yes? Did you see it happen? Is it true? Is it true? One point. Oh, that must have been a great game to watch, huh? And it's true then, right? So the rest of us can get excited because these five people in this room of hundreds said, I saw it. How do the rest of you know that it's true? You what? Oh, you saw it on TV. Okay, so what you're saying is in your house you have this thing. And somehow in ways that you don't completely understand, there are these guys with these other things who are there. And they're going, whoa, whoa. Right? And they're chopping all those pictures up into little itty bitty electronic pieces and they're shooting them to a satellite that you can't see, right? And then from that satellite, they're sending that to some place that you can't see and that's chopping it up into wires or something and it's sending it into your living room and then somehow, in ways you don't completely understand, it's all coming back together. And because of that, you believe that what you're seeing there is happening there. And you're having trouble believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because you don't understand it. Hello? Hello? Here's another reason to think about believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is because of the natural internal inclination that some of you have to doubt it. Where does that come from? Do you doubt the whole George Washington thing? No, that's cool. You doubt the Michigan Ohio State victory over this year? Good with that. Resurrection of Jesus. I don't know. I just don't feel there's something inside me going, don't believe that. See, the devil doesn't care what you believe about George Washington or the Buckeyes. He doesn't care. But he cares a lot about what you believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the internal doubt that naturally arises kind of proves its own case. But I want to give you one more reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's because there are 132 people who are in this church who were here on Tuesday night who experienced his risen presence. What happened? Someone counted. It wasn't me, but said there were 132 people here. And we saw people worship God in ways they've never worshipped Him before. And I got accounts about how the Holy Spirit touched them. And these are not from your typical card-carrying charismatics who are always talking about Jesus. I intentionally went, I intentionally went to the ones who were kind of more subdued and said, What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Tell me what's going on. There was one guy, he's a friend of mine and a neighbor, and he was getting prayer. He had surgeries, just not coming back from the way we're all wanting him to, and he wants to, and he was in a wheelchair, and he hasn't been walking well. And I walked up to him as he was being prayed for by some of the warriors who were praying for him, and it was on, baby, it was on. 
And I said, you feel anything? And he looked up at me. I swear he had the face of a boy. And he said, yeah. And he told me one thing, and then he told me this. He said, I haven't been able to feel my feet in the longest time. And, re- and first they were warm, but now it feels like they're soaking in water. I said, really, water? Now, what only some of you know who were warriors, who were the prayer warriors that night, you were out in the lobby with me, and I said, the Lord gave me a word that Tuesday afternoon as we were getting ready to pray, and that's that he was going to come in by the water. And he was going to come in by the water. I went and saw that neighbor a couple days later, and uh, how are you feeling? He said, God. He went to his physical therapy session the next day and they were impressed with his strength and removed his brace and he was, he said, my feet still feel good today. That was two days later. And that's one, one account of account after account after account, Carl Booth, who got prayed for and you said I was in pain when it started and now I'm not in any pain. Why should you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, because it's true. (laughs) That account alone should give you some kind of heartburn. A holy heartburn that creates a fascination for Jesus in your heart. Or a disturbing heartburn that says, Oh my God, what if all this stuff is true and I'm not part of it? The initial experience with Jesus Christ is simply that. It was what the disciples had. It's heartburn. It's a stirring of your heart. You'll feel something in your heart of hearts. Some of you are feeling it right now. Some of you are feeling it. Some of you are surprised by it. There's something stirring inside of you going, oh my God, what if this is true? And if Jesus Christ really is risen from the dead, then you are faced with either an incredible opportunity or an enormous problem. Am I right? But one thing is for certain. You can't come into this place today And be a part of the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And just go away going, that's nice. That's nice. Because if you believe that it's true, then your world is necessarily turned upside down. And if you don't believe it to be true, then you are right now trapped in a room full of lunatics who are building their very lives on what you consider to be a fairy tale. The bottom line is simply this. When you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, your sins are forgiven. When you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead for you, then you begin to live. Then you have life. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Father God, we bow before you on this glorious Easter morning. We give you all the praise and glory and honor and blessing. You are the one who in love gave his life for us on the cross and who in the same love conquered death, defeated Satan, rose from the dead, walked among us, More than 500 people saw you at the same time and have given testimony, started a testimony that continues to this day, for we too have experienced your risen presence.
And we love you this morning, Lord. And we invite you to come and receive all of the praise and the glory and the honor and the blessing that is due the name of the one and only Savior who died and rose again for us. And we invite you to come in the power of your Holy Spirit and complete the celebration of our time together by receiving our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.